want to welcome all of you guys to our last series, our last sermon of this series on parenthood. And as we've said from the beginning, a parent's goal is to gradually transfer a child's dependence away from them until it rests solely on God. And hopefully you've recognized this isn't just been for us as parents, but all of what we've talked about has applied to other relationships as well. And what we've done is we've looked at the five unchanging principles of parenthood, uh, which are godly support, loving touch, impactful words, abundant time, and yes, last week, healthy discipline. So as we wrap up this series, what we want to do is take time to do two different things today. Because I've got some questions from you that I want to make sure that we're able to best answer. Uh, Because I've tried to do my best to present to you from God's word as a pastor, as a husband, and as a man. But you also need to hear from a female perspective on some questions that you've specifically asked and that I want you to be able to to hear and to be able to answer. So I'm going to ask, you know, Cammie, you know, Moody and Donna Brandt to come on up. Let's give them a hand as they come. So we're gonna, I'm going to ask these uh, wonderful gals you know, some questions that you have asked me you know, directly or indirectly so that you can hear it from a godly woman's perspective. And that will be the first part we're going to do, and then we'll wrap up in just a second. So why don't we start with this. Cammie, I want you to introduce yourself. And as a mom you know, of younger kids, you know, where do you get the support that you need, knowing that you're not from this area? Uh, that, uh, uh, or for those of you who don't have great relationships with family members in this area, uh, where do you get that uh, relational need for you and your family? Hi, I'm Cammie Moody. I've been married for about 13 years. I have two kids, eight and 10, um, and I am an adopted daughter. You're right, I am not from here. I'm originally from Southern California, which is where my family is. So when we were called up here a couple years ago, uh, my in-laws were not called up here. So we came solo with our two littles. And we came from an environment where our family was around the corner from us, literally around the corner. We had their help anytime we needed. We can call them, they would just show up. It was great, but now we didn't have that up here. We knew the church is a family, right? The church community, you find your people here, but we had never really had to practice that until Valley Real Life. So we, Zach and I, had to be very, very intentional about uh, what that looked like for us now, where the help came from, because we're used to it and we needed it. So prayed a lot. God provided some, I mean, all of you guys, really incredible people, uh, and we created a family. We have an Oma and an Opa. We have aunts and uncles. We have uh, cousins. We have, we have family here, and that's because we made an effort to find those people. So family sometimes is what you're born into, but family's also what you make it. And so we made a family, and awesome. Valley Real Life made that really simple. I don't know what an Opa is, but I want to be that. That is so cool. You can ask Sandy. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and this is where, you know, you might say to yourself, you know, I don't have kids or my kids are different ages or stages. This is where the church can come alongside. Another opportunity, you know, as a family who's also not from the area, my extended family is not here. It's the same thing. I can say the same thing about over the years, how much this has become. And many of you become kind of surrogate family members, you know, at different stages and ages of our kids. And so what an opportunity we have to do this as a church. Uh, Donna, um, you know, you've raised kids And so I love to be able to hear because uh, the biggest question that I got, 
you know, um, um, from folks, you know, were twofold. One is, um, what do we do when it gets tough? When it just gets hard in parenting, and so you have the perspective of being able to look back, and so give us some thoughts and wisdom. So my name is Donna Brandt. I'm married to my best friend, Kirk. We've been married for 11 and a half years, and we're a blended family, seven adult children, ranging from 23 to 34. And we have a beautiful nine-month-old granddaughter. Yay for grandkids, second chances. <laughs> so the first thing I suggest when parenting gets tough is to pray. I know that sounds like an obvious answer, but oftentimes it's our last resort. And when we pray, ask God if there's something that I'm doing in my parenting that I need to change. Second thing I would encourage you to do is to ask questions of other parents who are raising their kids in the best way possible in a godly way. There's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Uh, keep the lines of communication open with your kids. Try to have respectful and open conversations. If you find yourself overreacting or parenting in anger, apologize and start over. God's mercies are new every morning. And then sometimes counseling can help. Counselors can ask questions that can help you come up with solutions. And then the last thing I suggest, if you've tried everything, is maybe a shock collar. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'll finish up with my favorite life verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Love it. Thank you for that. Uh, Pammy, as an adopted child, uh, you have a very unique perspective. Uh, as you know, I've, I have an adopted daughter. And there are a lot of people in our church you know, who have adopted or you know someone who has adopted as well. And so we would love to hear, when it comes to parenting, the flip side. You know, as someone who's raised up in that family, what are some things that you would encourage us or encourage us who know others as it pertains to their adopted kid? I think I've answered this differently each time. <laughs> but I, I love being adopted. It's a huge part of who I am. I've never known a difference. I was born into my family and I've always known that I was adopted. My parents uh, had my sister and a lot of health complications. So after they had her, they knew adoption if, was their choice if they needed more kids or if they wanted more kids. They don't need more kids. They wanted more kids. <laughs> uh, but it was very obvious that I was different from my family, more of um, an internal aspect. We looked a little different, but you know, no, that wasn't uh, my biggest issue, but it was more of the hobbies, the natural inclinations, um, the tendencies that they had. The three of them were very, very similar, and I was very different. My family, I think from a very loving place, uh, highlighted that and made it known to a big point, look at how different she is. She's different. <laughs> and it was, it was nice because I felt seen, right? Um, all those good things. But I just felt different, not in a great way. And I think I was put up on a pedestal of how different I am to where as I got older, I was pushed off that pedestal and look at how different she is. Um, so my advice would be embrace the differences in all of your kids and all of you as individuals because God created us differently. But we don't need to highlight so much that they were adopted and they're different. Um, we're all adopted into God's family, and 
I see no different in the family that you live with inside your home. Um, Love your kids for who they are. Embrace them for their differences. uh, But we don't need to highlight different things um, because they're adopted. That's good. Um, One of the biggest questions that I got that uh, there's two two of them, but one of the first ones I got is uh, consistently, and Donna, this one's for you, is uh, blended families. So um, uh, every week I had people come up to me, but Dan, how do I do this when our family wants to do one thing and they want to do something else when it comes to godly support or discipline or anything? We just are really struggling to know how to do that. Or once again, you might know someone, you know, who is trying to deal with that right now. Well, you have done, led through that. So what are the things that if you were to go back, you know, help us to know some things that you've learned from that you'd go back and do again and Maybe some things that you can encourage or challenge you know, us or those of us who actually are going through this right now. Question. It's a loaded question. I'll start with the things I wished I would have done differently. I'd be on my knees more. I would try not to parent from a place of fear to realize that kids will make mistakes and that's often our best teacher and to realize that even God was the best parent and he had kids that sinned. He didn't shame them, but he allowed their consequence to be the teacher. I would seek counseling earlier on for my brokenness so that I wasn't parenting from a place of woundedness. I would communicate more on tough issues like drugs and sex. I would focus more on a heart for Jesus rather than a heart of compliance. In my earlier years, I would follow through more and let my yes be yes and my no be no. I discovered love and logic when my kids were teens and kind of reminds me of how God parents us. He gives us choices and allows us to live with the consequences of those choices while continuing to love us through it. And I would have our youngest go to church with us even when he was a teen. He said he didn't believe in God anymore. And something that's come up in conversations with my friends is to model constructive heated fellowship Oftentimes, parents will argue disrespectfully in front of their kids, or they'll have heated fellowship behind closed doors, so it doesn't give kids an opportunity to learn how to handle conflict in a good way, in a healthy way. So those are the things I wished I would have done differently. And I'd like to end on the positives. Uh, I actually asked my adult children what they felt like I did that was positive. And my oldest said, He appreciated the fact that I didn't talk poorly about his father. He also appreciated the fact that I didn't date a lot of different people. My middle said he he liked that I modeled apologizing. Oftentimes, kids idolize parents until they're adults and they realize we're just like them. Um, So model apologizing at an earlier age will hopefully uh, raise our kids into adults who are okay with apologizing. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. My youngest appreciated that we modeled a strong work ethic and how to manage money. My oldest stepdaughter said that I treated her like my own. I never expected her to like or love me, but allowed that to evolve over time. My youngest stepdaughter said that I was generous with my love, empathetic in hard times, And she appreciated that I never spoke of my former husband in a bad light. As she gets older, she appreciates how much that means. We served together. I would recommend serving more. 
and I focused on healthy nutrition. I think sometimes poor nutrition can lead to poor behavior. And one thing my kids didn't mention, but I feel like was impactful because I was a biological mom of three boys, I wanted them to have godly male role models in their life. And so I, ra I read a book, Raising a Modern Day Knight, and we had rite of passage ceremonies at various ages for them, 13, 16, and 18. And I asked men if they would speak on a, to a topic from a biblical perspective. And so they would gather, um, just the men and my boys, and they were able to invite some of their close friends and they would do an activity together and then each man would speak on that topic. And so it not only impacted my boys, but it also impacted uh, their friends. And so parenting is tough and David wasn't a, a, a man after God's own heart because he never sinned, but because he continued to go back to God. And so that's what I would recommend is just keep going back to God. Wow, there is a lot there, a lot of wisdom. You know, and how brave you are to contact them and ask. I mean, I just hope my kids would say something similar a few years from now, because they ain't saying it now. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, Cammie, last question based on time. Um, the busyness, the pace, uh, every generation, every parent, you know, always have to deal with society and all the things that the kids have going. And so how do we balance that? How do we make sure that church doesn't get lost or life groups in the midst of good things? You know, like their activities and, and like their sports or like their, you know, uh, the, the school stuff that God has for them. I, I, f I want my kids to be well-rounded and I want them to be cultured. I want them to have, uh, to explore different talents. And when they're little, that's a really good time to have them explore that, right? And we, we fell into a trap a little before COVID where we were doing all the things, guys. We were part of... Carter was doing 500 things. Charlotte was doing six different things. And Zach and I found ourselves like high-fiving on the way out, never having time to connect to one another. And our intentions were good. We wanted to invest into our kids. We wanted to prioritize them. Uh, but we were not prioritizing or investing in our marriage. And that was a non-negotiable. And when that became evident to us, we sat down. We cleared our whole calendar. We realized we have 24 hours every single day, and where are we fitting into it? We weren't, right? Even dinners together weren't really happening because we had baseball or we had dance or karate or whatever it might have been. So we decided to swing the pendulum and say, okay, kids, you guys can each choose one thing. What is that one thing you wanna do? Which our surprise made it, made their investment into that one activity really strong. It didn't feel less important. It felt really, really important to them. Um, Zach and I come from a background of life groups. It's uh, a big part of our marriage and our lives as individuals. So we reprioritize that. And um, we pieced together those little dinners, having it together and not being like, yes, we get dinner together. That's the norm. We want that to be a norm. And if we're thinking ahead, how do we want our kids, what do we want their marriage to look like? What do we want, how do we want them to look like as parents? Um, so we're going to do that. We're going to do that and we're going to make mistakes and we're going to do things wrong. But this is where God has led us and our kids doing one thing at a time and prioritizing uh, serving together and doing life groups together. Um, 
we want our kids to see how important that is. Um, so that's what we're doing. I love it. Hey, can we give these ladies a hand? Thank you guys so much. Uh, they are going to make themselves available uh, after the service as well if you have further questions because there was a lot that was said in a very short period of time. And so if there's some other follow-up that you want to have, they're here for you. Uh, that's what they wanted to make themselves you know, available. And obviously you can continue to talk about different questions that you have in your life groups as well. And as I told you, uh, the two biggest questions that I've gotten on a consistent basis or statements has been, what if I come from a blended family and fill in the blank? But the other one has been, Dan, I wish I'd received this 15 years ago. Uh, man, I wish I had applied this five years ago. Man, I wish I you know, was raised under something differently. And so I want to kind of give you some hope and perspective. And the first thing is, it's never too late. It is absolutely never too late. No matter what age, no matter what stage you know, that your kids are, no matter how well you think you did or how terrible you think you did, you know, there is always an opportunity because what we want to answer is this question, what do we do when our kids rebel, wander, or completely walk away from their faith? Now, here's what I want you to do, because I told you that this whole series is not just for parenting, it's for everyone. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to imagine right now somebody in your life who's not a follower of Jesus. Maybe somebody who used to be a follower of Jesus who's wandered. It could be a family member, it could be a friend, you know, coworker, neighbor, whatever it may be. I want you to think of that person with the rest of the time that we go through, even though I'm going to be talking specifically about kids. Because here's what we know is that all of us have free will, free choice to be able to choose daily whether or not we're going to follow Jesus or not. We get to choose that on a regular basis. And the level in which we choose that will determine the level in which we will choose to either rebel, to wander, or eventually maybe to completely walk away from our faith. I look back at my own past. I know there was a three-year season, fifth to seventh grade, where I was pretty far away from God. Then there have been other many seasons of either days, weeks, or months where I've kind of been like, you know what, Dan, you're thinking more of you. You're following more of you. You're not following what God asks of you or for you in this life. But I want to start out with some incredible perspective and encouragement, and that is that God understands parental pain. He understands parental pain. In fact, one of my favorite scriptures on this is in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. Listen, O heavens, pay attention, earth. This is what the Lord says. The children I raised and cared for have rebelled against me. You see, I used to believe at some points of my parenthood, maybe even before kids, that if I just raised the kid right, that they would actually live right the rest of their lives. But what God is telling us is that he is the perfect being who ever existed, and he had kids that rebelled, okay? Because each one of our kids also gets to choose no matter how good you are as a parent. So I want you to kind of take that off your shoulders a bit, because if the perfect creator can't get their kids to always follow because of this thing called sin and free will, then that should take off just a little bit of the pressure, the guilt or remorse of some of the things that you've done in your life. In fact, one of the things I want to remind you is a famous story uh, in the New Testament. Now, the context of the story, you know, has to do with religious leaders and Pharisees who are upset with Jesus about how he's going after connecting to people who are far from God. And so Jesus tells them three stories. 
He tells him the story of a lost coin, a lost sheep, and then he finishes with the lost son. But in the story of the lost son, which is more famously known as the prodigal son, uh, we get a chance to see kind of a parental understanding of what we should do or some guides on how we should react when, not if, our child or the friend that you have in mind rebels, turns their back, even looking in the mirror ourselves. So it starts with this in verse 11, where it says a man. Now that man represents God in the story. This is what you need to understand. He had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. In other words, he's telling him, I wish you were dead. Give me the resources now because I'm young. I'm a young adult. I want to go live it up. His father knows this and still agrees to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, this is where you and I are going to be like, okay, God, what are you doing? Why are you setting your kid up for failure? Which is a whole different sermon. We might be able to hit that today, but I want you just to keep following. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and he moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. So he gets to live it up. Everything that he could possibly enjoy with the resources that have been given to him, he begins to enjoy that. Now, as a pause, I want to just reflect for a second. Those of you parents know that some of the most painful experiences that you can have is when you see a child hurt and you can't do anything about it or when a child hurts you. You know, there's, there's something that you've opened yourself up to when you have that child from birth and when you see a child hurt and you can't take away or can't, you know, help their pain or they hurt you, it can go deep. And so what are we supposed to do? And like I said, to help our, our friends or kids when they rebel, wander, or turn their back, not if, but when, I want to give you three primary things that we learn from God's word and the story dealing with those around us. The first is a commitment to unwavering prayer, that we're committed. In fact, three of the most powerful, some of the most powerful verses, words in the Bible is 1 Thessalonians 5.17, never stop praying. Never stop praying for the people in our lives, for the circumstances, for what God needs to do. Uh, never stop praying, knowing that the, the child is gonna make some choices. They're gonna be contrary to how you've raised them, whether you think you've raised them good or not. Now, people ask, well, what do I pray for? Let me give you a few things that the Bible helps encourage us to pray for. First, pray daily that God's spirit would work in their lives. See, you can send articles, you can uh, educate, you can parent to the best that you can, but it truly is only God that can really change someone from the inside out. And, and so pray daily that God's spirit would do what only God's spirit can do in the life of every child by name on a regular basis, whether they're following him or not. Secondly, pray daily for wisdom and discernment. As a parent, even if you've raised a kid, the second kid's different than the first kid, you need wisdom and discernment. I could tell you some of my biggest parenting mistakes was thinking that I knew what to do in a situation instead of asking God for wisdom and discernment to know what I should do in a certain situation. So are we praying for wisdom and discernment? Specifically, 2 Timothy 4.2 gives us some insight into the reason why this is important. It says, preach the word. And so think about it as parents. Be prepared in season and out of season to correct, to rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. But the question is, when am I supposed to correct? When am I supposed to rebuke? 
And when am I supposed to encourage? I need to pray for wisdom and discernment to know what needs to take place and when. So let's start with this first one, when to confront. I don't know if you've heard the story about, you know, a son who turned 16 years old and uh, he had very long hair and his dad just hated it, just hated how long a hair he had. And and so uh, the son says one day, dad, I'm 16. All of my friends have a car. I want you to buy me a car. And the dad thought, here's my chance to confront that in which I do not agree with and I do not like. And he looks at him, son, until you get that haircut, you're not going to get a car. To which the son said, yeah, but dad, you know, Jesus had long hair as well. And then the dad said, yeah, son, Jesus also walked everywhere he went. (laughs) That's going to hit some of you guys in a second. This is a lighter way of confrontation, but Galatians 6 actually tells it this way. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, if they have wandered, if they have rebelled, you who are godly, starts in the home, should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. That is the season where you're saying, okay, I see what's going on in this person's life. It's hurting them. It's hurting their relationship with God and others. I'm to lovingly come into their life and gently confront them, gently rebuke them to do it humbly, but with intentionality because of my love for them and the relationship with God. Don't be afraid to confront. Uh, You're the parent. Remember, you're the one that God has placed in their lives as their primary disciple maker. I can't tell you how many times I see parents that move from heartache on where their child is or is going to quickly becoming acceptance of attitude, behavior, or life choices. Like, well, this hurts too much, so I'm just going to accept and just go along with it. No, no, no. As they get older, and I get it, you're not going to have as much say, but there's always an opportunity to lovingly confront to reveal God's best for that child, going back to the why behind the one. So when to confront, that's what you're praying for, the wisdom and discernment. Secondly, when to pursue. When When do you run after? When do you chase after your child? It's fascinating to me that in Luke 15, as I told you, uh, the first story is the lost coin, but the second one is the story of the lost sheep. And you notice that in Luke 5, 4, it says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one who was lost until he finds it? Isn't it fascinating that the shepherd leaves the 99 and pursues the one that's lost? And so there's a season and a time to pray like, all right, God, is this the time to confront? Is this the time to run after? Or is this the time to let them go? To let them go. Because what we read in the next one is the father has been told by the younger son, I want my share of the estate before you die. And so he gets that wealth, divides it between his sons. And what does the son do? The son leaves. Does the father chase after him? He doesn't. So how do I know whether I chase after the lost sheep or go after my lost son? We need prayer. We need to discern if this is that season or not. Now, when I say let them go, I'm not saying write them off. I'm just saying you got to let them go uh, experience and allow them to experience the natural consequences that come from leaving what God has asked them to be and do for their benefit. There's no amount of telling them that's going to change. They're going to have to experience it on their own. So we pray daily for God's spirit to move. 
Secondly, we pray for discernment and wisdom on when to confront, when to pursue, and when to let go. The third thing we pray for is that God would bring his people into their lives. As your children get older, I hope you're praying, not only for their future spouse, but their friends, their coworkers, their neighbors, you know, the people they're gonna work with, you know, uh, where they're gonna go to school. I pray that you are praying that God would bring other people who love him into their lives at the moment in which they're rebelling that they can then show up. Because when our voices get smaller, they need another voice. And some of you who are teachers, at high schools, some of you are professors, some of you, you know, who are coaches, do you understand that you have so much more of an impact than just teaching, which is phenomenal, but the impact, you understand you might be the answer to prayer that a praying parent has been praying for their child, that you would be that answer for them. We've seen this time and time again. In fact, right now, they're wrapping up 113 high schoolers are at winter camp and they're wrapping up their experience this weekend which could only happen because there are dozens of non-parents or parents who aren't attached to those kids who are in their lives. And I can tell you as one who sent a son that I have been praying all weekend that another parent, that another leader would be able to also speak into my son's life. And I know you want the same thing. In fact, if I were to switch this, maybe one of the reasons God has you here today is because he wants you to be that answer to prayer in somebody else's life. Maybe he's asking you to volunteer into the youth ministry, into the middle school and the high school, or simply by saying, you know, I'm gonna come to church, but I'm gonna serve in the kids area, you know, either before this service or after this service, because I want to be used by God, even as much as, as little as it may seem for an hour in a child's life to help support what the God is doing in and through the family. Because again, it takes a church family to help raise Kids, I know for me, middle school and high school is Mike Gunderson. And as my parents' voice seemed to get quieter and dumber, quite frankly, as a high school student, I'm like, you guys don't know what the heck you're talking about. They got really smart in my mid-20s again. And I don't know what happened. They must have got some education or something. You know, but I'm just telling you, at that point, it was very, very important for me to have other people. And Mike Gunderson was that guy that really helped to challenge, to encourage, to come alongside. So we pray for God's spirit. We pray for God for wisdom and to know when to confront, when to pursue, and you know when to let go. And we pray that God brings his people into their lives. And lastly, we pray, this one's hard. We pray that God will do whatever he needs to do to another, in order for their hearts to turn back to him. We pray that they hit bottom. We pray that eventually God allow whatever happens that needs to happen in order for them to be awakened to the reality of who you are. See, the story of the prodigal son continues in verse 13. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings, moved to a distant land there. He wasted his money in wild living. About that time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Now, if Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience, this is like he hit rock bottom. Talk about not kosher you know, for a Jewish boy to have to be surrounded by pigs and so bad that the young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him now, but no one gave him anything. The product of his choices and a famine that took place allowed him to hit bottom. You see, God can use life's tragedies or the consequences of our choices for good. 
He's not there wanting to punish for punish's sake, but he allows us to experience those things so that God can work the good and turn our hearts back to him. And so that's what we pray. We pray on a regular basis, unwavering prayer. But secondly, we need to have unending patience. Oh, all of our favorite words. Unending patience. Proverbs 22, 6 again. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The key word in that verse is old. Old doesn't mean 20s, 30s, 40s. Could mean 70s, 80s, and 90s by the time they return to whatever that they had been given. So as parents, we have to be patient over and over and over again. Philippians 1, 6 promises us, though, in that patience, there's hope. And I'm certain that God, who began the good work in you, will continue his work. He'll continue to do so until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. I want to remind you, as I have to do myself, that we are stewards, managers of the kids in which God has given to us. He's the owner. The reason that's really important right now is because you know how much you love your children, but you're just the manager. You know owners have a greater investment than managers and stewards. Just for a second, process this. God loves your kids more than you do. Let that just kind of blow your mind for a second. He loves your kids more, which means he wants to do whatever he can and is so patient and so loving and so kind to bring them into relationship or bring them back to him. And so we are hopeful that their eyes are open to the things of God, that he uses things in, in his lives. And this is why this sentence is so important in Luke 15. It says, when he finally came to his senses. So he's sitting there feeding pigs and things are not going, but he finally comes to his sentences, senses and he says to himself at home, even the hired servants have good enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. So what is he coming to his senses with? Okay, the situation I'm in, this is not good. Where have I had a better situation? Oh yeah, back home. So he starts thinking about his father's servants, but that's not the only senses that he comes to. Keep reading. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and earth. In other words, this is his repentance and confession moment. This is his opportunity to say, look, I have sinned. I've not just made poor choices. I've actually sinned. I'm coming back to God and I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he gets up and he starts heading back home. So we've talked about unwavering prayer, unending patience. And finally, maybe most importantly, what do we do when a child wanders or rebels or completely turns their back on God is unconditional Love. It's interesting because he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran, which Jewish men would not do in that day, except for extreme circumstances. He embraced him. He kissed him. His son, probably a little startled by what's taking place, says to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But, <laughs> I told you I'm going to do a series on the important buts of the Bible, and this is one of the biggest ones. I'm telling you, but his father said to his servants, this son of mine is an idiot. I told you he was going to do this. What's wrong with you? Why can't you be more like your older brother? You've disgraced me. You've disgraced the family. 
I'm glad you're home, but yeah, you better get to work. Go, go get your you know, work clothes on because you're going to have to work your way back into the family. That's how some of us would respond if we're honest. That's not how God responds. For he says, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, which shows them that he's immediately a son, not a servant, and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. This is where God is saying, I love you no matter what. Doesn't mean he's agreeing with all the choices and decisions we as his kids or our kids make, but he's saying, my love for you is unconditional. And I want to show you that. In fact, one proof of that is when you turn back to me, mom coming, you're coming back to open arms, not clenched fists. Now, what's fascinating as we wrap up this series is you may not even realize that by now that the series has not even been about parenthood. It's been about your relationship with God the Father. And everything that we've talked about is what God is trying to do in our lives. And as he does these in our lives, that he hopes we will do that in other people's lives starting in our homes. And so could it be, as we started this, that there's an opportunity for unwavering prayer, unending patience, and unconditional love for you that God has for you. You see, you might be here thinking this is week four in parenting, and God has you here to say, you're my child. Can you turn back to me? It could have been a day of rebellion. It could have been a week. It could have been a month. It could have been a year. Maybe you find yourself just here today just as somebody invited you or just kind of walked in. And God is saying, come back to me with open arms as my child. I love you. Let's go on this journey together. And for those of you who are parents or who have friends in your lives who have wandered, what is your next step? As a parent or as a friend with someone who has wandered from God. I hope you kept that person's name in mind because those things apply. Unwavering prayer, unending patience, and unconditional love that we would be the representatives of God to those around us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today, for the opportunity we have to serve, to love, and to connect to you. I pray you lead and guide our hearts and our decision right now. I just pray that if there's anybody in this room who's not yet or has wandered from you and has a chance to come back, that they would just pray this prayer. Jesus, I'm sorry. I have sinned against you and against others. Take me back as your son or daughter. Father, to which you are saying, yes, welcome home. I pray that you would just be with us all as we continue to navigate and continue to deal with parenting as well as helping those who are in our sphere of influence are far from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.